0: Please stand as you are able for a reading from the Gospel of John 4, 21 to 24. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know, excuse me, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you.
1: Would y'all pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, so that whether it's because of me or even in spite of me, it would still be your word that is faithfully proclaimed and your name that is glorified. Amen. Amen. If you read through the Bible, starting in the very beginning, you see from the beginning of our narrative of faith, our ancestors noticed and acknowledged certain places as holy and set apart, right? Abraham, who's sort of the father of our faith, stacked stones on top of one another as a monument, a reminder of where God has promised him a lineage that he did not even yet understand, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand in the desert. Jacob, one of Abraham's grandsons, he took a moment to rest in the desert when he was running from his own family, and he fell asleep. And there, when he fell asleep, he saw a vision of a staircase going up into the sky with heavenly messengers going up. And down. And when he woke up, he realized that God had been in that place even though he didn't know it. And so he used the very stone that he had been sleeping on to form a pillar, that he anointed with oil to mark the place as holy. He even named that place Beth El, the house of God. Moses, later in scripture, he removed his shoes in the presence of a bush that was caught in eternal flame. And eventually that same man, Moses, while he's walking with the people of God, they received a new covenant, a new commandment that would hold them in relationship with God, and they built an ornate ark to house those words of the covenant and to house the tangible presence of God. And then as time went on, those same folks, as they were traveling along in the wilderness, they built a tent over that ark. And once they'd found their home in the Promised Land, eventually a king by the name of Solomon used his incredible wealth to build a colossal and ornate temple for the worship of God. God was housed there. Sacrifices were made there. Lives began there. So when the temple was destroyed by Babylonian armies, it was a huge problem. The people who had devoted themselves to God by worshiping in the temple had to find new ways to connect with God in their normal habits of life. They had to find ways to demonstrate their faithfulness beyond the sacred walls of a sacred building in a sacred city. So there's a shift that happened from the beginning of our story. In the origins of our faith, God was recognized and worshiped anywhere. God was noticed in gardens, as well as in deserts, and even at the peaks of mountains. And then as power fell into human hands, temples began to be built, and suddenly God could only be worshipped in a sanctuary that was human-crafted. And so we've seen as time has gone on, and even to this day, we have built more and more places set apart for the worship of God. That concept hasn't changed. Inevitably, we think our place, our time, our way, is the best way to connect with God. We set sanctuaries apart as the meeting place with God, and that's all good. I think it's important to have intentionality in our worship. I think it's important to be mindful and aware of God's presence in particular places, but those particular places should all point towards God's presence in the normal and the mundane places of our lives, too. Otherwise, I worry that we may have confined our awareness to God to this particular room from 8.45 in the morning or so to 9.45 and then 11 till 12. I'm worried that we may have confined our worship of God to just one hour on Sundays in a really beautiful room that feels set apart and sacred. But this room, this sanctuary, is just one place where God meets us, right? The obvious reality is that God is present in sanctuaries and churches around the globe, let alone around our city. But even more importantly, God is present between those buildings in all places at all times. This is incredibly important and foundational to our faith. And so now I could talk about the immensity of God, or about how impossible it is to confine God to any particular location. I could talk about how God probably doesn't really care about which liturgy we use or which liturgy we don't use. I could talk about how God has no known preference for bands or for choirs or particular instruments. But I think that conversation really misses the point. I read a really interesting, it was a very unscientific study, but it was an interesting study done by a worship leader, a guy named Manuel Luis. Uh, He interviewed about a hundred people that he worships with, and he had just one question for them. The question's really simple, this is it. How do we know if worship was good? It's a good question. And I think the answers he received were pretty relatable and fairly universal in scope, right? These were the most popular answers. I was really moved by it. I felt God in it. I forgot about the stress of my week and could just be present. And I really liked the music. Now, those are all really relatable answers, right? I mean, we can all get on board with most of those. The problem is this, though. Those answers reflect my preferences, my feelings, and not necessarily God's own. And this is exactly why I think arguments about worship styles and the preservation of certain spaces or even certain pieces of furniture Are so unhelpful. They have very, very little to do with the worship of God. And they have a lot to do with maintaining our own sense of comfort. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm confident that God wants us to be happy. That's written throughout Scripture. I know for certain that God wants us to be comforted. In fact, that's one of the names given to the Spirit of God, the Holy Comforter. And beyond that, I know that Scripture is full of stories and parables about the need for community to worship alongside one another through songs and through readings and through the proclamation of testimony about where God has been. Worship and community is meant to draw us together, despite our differences, to focus on the one who created every single one of us. Worship is meant to rekindle our sense of connection and conviction about God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's mercy. Worship is meant to awaken our inner selves to the truth that you are a beloved creation of God with just as much value as the person sitting next to you. Your value is not determined by whether or not you can keep up with the responsive readings. It isn't determined by your ability to sing on key Your value is determined only by the love of God, which is everlasting and persistent. You see, you already matter to God. Your worth isn't dependent on worshiping correctly or in the correct place. Long after Solomon's temple was destroyed, it was actually rebuilt, um, almost identically, but not quite. It was rebuilt in the heart of Jerusalem, and after the temple was rebuilt, Jesus, who was a faithful Jew who worshiped in the temple, had a really intimate conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, this is significant in its own right because of the context in history, in Jesus' religious tradition, this woman is outside of the community. She's an outsider. She doesn't belong, and Jesus should not be talking to her. But that's not the point today. As a part of their conversation, this woman explains their differences. She says to Jesus that she worships God on the mountain instead of in the temple, and Jesus's response is beautiful and inclusive, and it would have been incredibly challenging for his own faith community to hear. As Joy read for us just a moment ago, Jesus says, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship in this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God. In spirit and in truth. So, in this sense, worship is just participating in God's spirit through the lens of radical honesty, which is such an important. Paradigm shift for the church. Worship is our cooperation with God. Worship is the act of cleansing ourselves of the lies that we tell, even to ourselves, that we, that we have to be productive, that we have to look busy, that we have to dress the part, that we have to say the right words in prayer, that we have to have the right family dynamics, that we have to make life look easy, or even that we have to make life look hard earned. These things are lies that keep us from worshiping in spirit and in truth. The lies constrict us, they place limits on us, and they put us in competition with our friends. And all too often they put us in opposition to our community. Worship is gratitude in the presence of God. Worship is confession. Worship is connection. Worship is opening our eyes to see the truth within us. It's opening our eyes to see the truth around us. Worship is joining God in compassion for those who are hurting. Worship is joining God in advocacy for those whose voices have been stripped away from them. Worship is joining in reconnecting those who have been pushed to the margins of societies into a beloved community. Worship is so much bigger than an hour in a beautiful sanctuary singing beautiful songs, praying beautiful and articulate prayers. Worship is intentionally living a real and messy life in the presence of God from Sunday morning through Saturday night. And as the church continues to lose its hold of power in the world, I am so excited to see what will be in the future. I know with absolute certainty that God will continue to be with us, permeating everything and calling us to remember our fundamental identity, who we really are. You are a beloved Child of God, made in God's own image and named good from the beginning of time, and there is nothing you can do to change that. The one sitting next to you shares that same identity. bearing the likeness of the divine within them, too. And every time we gather, we have an opportunity to remember that fundamental and sacred truth. Because we know this. The day is coming when we will not worship on mountains or in sanctuaries, but we will worship in spirit and in truth in the midst of god who is spirit i long for that day thanks be to god amen